This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular champ chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization, Spirit North, will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, it is a recap of day two of racing in Falun, Sweden, which featured a 15K mass start skate for the men and a 10K mass start skate for the women. Hey, man. How's it going? Great. Couldn't be better. Good. You're up early. Some exciting races in Falun. I have to eat my words because I thought it was going to go down completely differently. And uh, instead, Hans Christer Holen with the race of the day, just drilling it. And some difficult conditions for the skis as well. You saw big differences in the skis and that translated into big gaps. So pretty exciting stuff. We're going to talk about eating words a little more. Okay, I'm just pulling up some live timing here. So let's start with the guys race. And before we even actually get to the racing, um, and and I I agree, I, I had the same assumption that it was going to be, you know, a mass start. And then a kind of uh, like you like you mentioned yesterday, like a real cluster for much of the race. Sure. And you know, a bunch of people coming through the finish line together and kind of a massive sprint. Let's talk a bit about the course. And this came up this morning um, from Matt Matt Voisin, who you you've you've probably communicated with Matt a little bit. Yeah, so so he had been in Fallen Falun uh, back in like 2011 to cover some races, and he had mentioned and and uh, refreshing our memory here um, that you had done quite well in kind of a mini tour in Fallen back then. Yeah, no, I finished second in the mini tour, the World Cup Finals in 2012. So, but I've been racing in Falun forever. I think my first distance points were in Falun. That was like yeah, 400. That was when the Vikings discovered Newfoundland. <laughs> so. Um, so it's always been a good venue to me always. And do you recall if, when you placed second in that mini tour, if they had included the Mortarbakken and the Mortarbakken is sort of the most feared climb normally that people associate with Falun. Oh, yeah. in Falun. In, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what? It wasn't all the way to the top of Murderbach in, uh, in those years. So we just went three quarters of the way up in, in that year. And then from the year after then, then it was included all the way over the top. So, yeah, for sure. So we got off a little lucky, but it was definitely a lot harder course than you saw today. Today's course is is very easy, but you saw 
outside of that ribbon of snow, I mean, it's it's just totally bare ground, brown dirt. There's no snow in the woods. That's unusual for Falun at this time of year. So, you, you know, the organizing committee in Falun this weekend did a phenomenal job just to get a race off the ground. And, uh, yeah, I mean, with Holen driving the bus in the men's race, it stretched out pretty early, but you still had some phenomenal crashes. Like, you know, we, we sung praises of Andrew, Lu Andrew Young last, uh, yesterday, cause he had a great classic sprint. And I mean, 15 K mass start skate. I mean, that's a good race for Andrew. And instead he got caught up with the, um, Andorran athlete that went down right in front of him, totally biffed it. And then both his skis flew off. I don't know if you saw that, but like both his skis, Andrew Young's, both his skis on one of the faster de descents on that 2.4 kilometer course blew off into the air, like almost like a surfer that exits the wave and then just kind of jumps straight up and does a swan dive and you see his board like, in, like above him. It was crazy. So there still was a lot of carnage. It just at the front of the race, not much carnage because Hans Christer Holland with the race of the day made sure that wasn't a factor. Well, so my question is like, how would you describe this course as like full on working with minimal rest? Why? And, and we can get to this too in like the women's race, which kind of, you know, blew apart from the front front end. But how would you describe the racing and how that may be attributed to the course? I mean, I would describe the course as dead easy. I mean, th this course they race today is very easy by World Cup standards, flat gradual downhills not that much climbing i mean it's just really easy from a world cup standpoint but today what was interesting when you have this low snow like they have the snow's really dirty and you saw big differences in skis and i think that helped see the gaps be bigger than they normally would have been that so skis made a big difference today not everybody had the same skis you saw that a little bit on display i mean like shoot off the skis in the men's field same with same with bolshinov both those guys had amazing skis and some other guys were they had okay skis but the a lot of those clips in the long descents you can see just how big a difference skis have and that that's not normal if it's minus five and clean snow but also hans christer holland when he decides it's time to go he must be the toughest mentally out there because he doesn't care. He doesn't look behind him. Usually what happens is like guys try for three, four minutes and then kind of throw their arms up and ask for help and try and wave people through. And Hans Christer Holland, since winning that 50K last year, uh, even before then, to be honest, um, yeah, he when he's feeling good, he, he knows he doesn't have a sprint finish and he just drills it and he does not care if he has to do it all himself. And today... He it started really easy. I don't know if you noticed that, but it started dead easy. They were like crawling out of the start. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is just going to be a snooze fest. And after after the first lap, I mean, Hans Christer Holland was like, nope, not today. I have no chance for a top ten if we just keep cruising at zone three. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make something out of this race. And then he stretched it out into one big long line, and he just kept driving. So. Uh, yeah, for those athletes that um, benefited from that, Yakamushkin, Meloshenko, especially uh, those two, they they should really thank Hans Christer because without Hans Christer drilling it like that, they would have Yakamushkin and Meloshenko are just uh, going to be in that mess of a sprint finish that I was expecting. So skis made a huge difference, and then Hans Christer Holen made the next part of the difference that the race blew up completely. And I mean, I never would have thought that it would be thirty seconds to sixth, although. Kruger wouldn't have been 30 seconds back had he not biffed it hard on that last right. on that last corner but right. of the sprint course but uh still it was it was amazing it was a great race to watch I thought 
I'm just kind of looking through here some of the results. I mean, like I think Niskanen now can officially be considered very much an all-rounder and not at least this year and not just like the 15 classic master and in particular the 15 classic master when that race happens to be in Finland. Yeah, exactly. No, he's had a great season in top 10 again and he was hanging right in there with that league group. He just popped in the later stages of the race. Um, which was a little too bad to see. I'm sure he's a little disappointed because he was having a great he was having a great day up with uh, that leading group with Hole and drilling it. And for Niskanen to be able to hang with a pace like that, that's really impressive. But the race of the day, I know Holland has the race of the day, but tied for that, Finhog and Krog, he's back. 64, he was babe 64 because he hasn't been racing on the World Cup. His mm-hmm. fist points have taken a real dive. Finishes seventh skis himself from 64 in a tight course you saw how narrow that course was i mean it was not fair if you're starting if you're starting with a deep bib it's not especially fair on a 2.3 2.4 k course with all those corners and then it's not it's not wide like canmore or or the lillehammer course um but they did a great job just to have the event uh, with their lack of snow but finn hagen man oh my god he was a beast today and it was awesome to see him back he won the national championship last week in in uh, in Norway in Conrud, Norway, and today seventh from Bib sixty four. He's gonna if he doesn't get picked for the the ski tour, I'll be I'll be bitterly disappointed. I mean, he's showing some great form now, and I thought today was was that was the race of the day for me. Great racing by Finn. Like talking holistically about the men's field, and this has been very much a a, a pattern this year, but. You know, I'm just looking through, and, and one of the reasons I mentioned Niskanen, and we can uh, also mention Paris in 10th in from France, they're the two outliers who are neither Russian or Norwegian. And the Russian, you know, Bolshinov won in first, and Yakamushkin was third. Otherwise, it's populated by, you know, Norwegian, the rest are Norwegians in the top eight, and then Niskanen and Paris in ninth and 10th, respectively, from Finland and France. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious in terms of diversity in national representation. No, uh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to dance around it. I mean, it is a, it is a two nations cup really for the men's field, especially in in distance skiing. And and the Russians and the Norwegians are not just a step ahead, but they're like a whole floor ahead, a whole flight of stairs ahead uh, of the rest. So it's um, it's absolutely time for other teams to step up and i was really pumped to see clement paris uh, back in the top 10 he's had a really hard season he had some great races last year and for the last few years he's really been stepping it up and this year it's been tough so for him in a mass start especially to be fifth like to be 10th like that that was a great race but like you said i mean only two nations other than norway and russia in the top 10 in the distance race especially on a mass start uh this isn't good other 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 countries have to have to step up and they have to figure out where their shortcomings are because this shouldn't happen. I mean, Norway is good and Russia is good. These are the superpowers of skiing, right. but this has happened. This has happened a few too many times now, like you said, this season and you see the top Swede, you know, we're used to having Swedes. I've talked yeah. about this ad nauseum, but Kali Halverson's 13th and he's leads the Swedes. Not good enough. I mean, the Swedish men's program has to find out what's plaguing them because the distance guys have a, 50 60 year legacy more 100 year legacy of of being great internationally in cross-country skiing and then at home in a course that usually suits them well they have callie halverson who's leading their team in 13th 
this is just not good enough. So a lot of teams have a lot of work to do to try and make up that gap. Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned stepping up. I mean, that's obviously like, you know, and it's interesting. I've been thinking about this. Well, I think about this a lot when, you know, the 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 psychic barrier of, and, and actually, let me go step back. I, I was thinking about this a lot when we're talking about the qualifying times, that psychic barrier of like, if you're not 25th through 30th, it's like, yeah, you have like a, a minimal chance of ever, you know, winning or podium or getting a podium if you're that far back historically or regularly. But that's what's so cool about being a human. You know, it's like you can reset and still believe at each you know, at, at the start of each race. That oh. said, it's hard to step up, right? And these, and it takes years. You know, think of the U.S. to sort of build the the pipeline and then have something that manifests that is, you know, a possible top fifteen on the World Cup or a, a, an athlete that can manifest that's a top fifteen on the World Cup. Is there something? I mean, what do they do in the short term? What do they do on the World Cup to kind of engineer more diversity or is that just like way too crude i think it's a little crude personally i i think i think teams need to quit being sucky boys and and put on their big boy pants and figure this out i mean it, it's going to be tough it's going to take a long time but like you said the american system is just so amazing right now the women are some of the best teams in the world um competing with the best week in week out and on the men's side from juniors they won the World Junior Relay last year. <laughs> they the, last year at the World Junior Championship, which is the which is the be all end all for junior programs. The USA was the best junior program in the world. Their women were third, and their men won. So this is no joke, and they can do it. It yes, you're right. It took a, a concerted effort, and it took a lot of years. But now in the American pipeline for both genders, they are they are poised to take over, and and some guys will whether it's whether it's Gus, whether it's Luke, who knows who who will be that that one American or two Americans that it really will break through, or maybe all of them will. Who's to say? But but they will because they have they've done concer a concerted effort to just slowly pick away at it, build a culture, and believe. And what worries me is when teams like Sweden, I just have nobody. I mean, you have it's at their home World Cup. And it's kind of a gift because it's an easy course in a 15K and you have Halverson in 13th and then you have Hogstrom in 23rd. And then you have three guys making the points with Victor Torn, who's coming back from a bad back injury. He had surgery. Vesterberg is more of a... Vesterberg is obviously a, a sprinter. And then Marcus Roos is, is, is a young, uh, unproven skier. So they have some guys in the points, but I mean, we're not celebrating Swedes in 26th, 27th, 28th. I mean... We, Swedes are usually three in the top 10. And from the Italian side of things, you have a real problem with Germany and Italy now and the distance skiing. Pellegrino finishes 20th today. Right, yeah. But I mean, you go back in the days and you have like Giorgio Decenta, Valbusa, Pele Petro Pellicotra, Silvio Fauner, Marco Alberello. You have so many, Desolt. You have, you have so many legends in Italy and now they're devoid of anyone to compete in the distance events, especially when you have De Fabiani, who has a lot of potential, but just he's had a horrendous season as well. And then Germany, the German men have had some okay races this year, but I've heard yeah. that they're not even going to field a team at the ski tour, instead deciding to go to Oberstdorf and train on the world championship courses for next year. Like, are you shitting me? Like, that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to get 
better is by hiding in Oberstdorf and doing some training wrong. That, that's a, not only does it make a, for a, a crisis situation on the World Cup when the biggest country in Europe doesn't even field a team at uh, the second or the marquee event. I mean, Ski Tour 2020 and the Tour de Ski are the marquee events of the season. And the biggest nation in Europe stays home in Oberstdorf to recon their world championship courses when they could just drive there any weekend of the year uh, and train. I mean, this is a bad thing. Like you said, people have lost, lost belief that it's possible. And that disappoints me because it is doable. We've done it. Canada's done it. Alex and I, Ivan, George Gray, you know, Lenny Valius, Jess Cockney, Graham Killick, we've done it. And we have competed at the highest level and medaled on the World Cup. And then Americans like Chris Freeman had a lot of top tens in the distance in the distance ranks throughout his time. America, like I said, two fourth places at the World Champs. Yeah, two fourth places at the World Championships. He he's been amazing. And of course, the Amer- USA. I'm not worried about they they will develop. Yeah. Yeah, they are developing. They're amazing. They're amazing. But France, you know, when you have Maurice Magnifica who's struggling this year. And Clément Paris till today has been struggling. That that's that's not so normal, that, and that happens to teams once in a while. Sure. But uh, it's it's Italy and Germany um, that really worry me, and and Switzerland as well. You know, Switzerland used to have mm-hmm. um, Tony Levers and Dario Colonia and Curtin Peril, and you had guys all in the top fifteen. And now, I mean, they're these next generation of guys. They're they're just they're just not good enough. I mean, they're back. They're two minutes back in in the forties, and and that's that's not normal. So yeah. It's cyclical for sure, but like you said, if these European nations have lost belief, and it sounds like Germany has lost belief, if they're not even sending a team to ski tour for the men, that's ridiculous. And um, if that's the case, we all need to give our head a shake because if you want to do this, you just have to put your head down and look your teammates in the eye and your coaches in the eye and go like, "We're gonna take the hits. We're gonna the, we're gonna just be in the ring, take the hits round after round after round." And by the 12th round, we'll be standing. And yeah, it might take a few years. It really will. But like I said with Norway, in 2010, when I had that conversation with Jess, in 2010, they had biathletes on their relay team because they didn't have good enough skate skiers to have two. There's only two skate skiers that do the relay. They didn't have two. They had to use biathletes. And now 10 years later, they're they're just crushing everybody. But teams can't lose the belief. It is possible to compete at the highest level just right now, yeah, it is a two-horse race. It's Norway and and Russia for the men, but so it is. That's how it is right now. But that doesn't mean it has. It doesn't mean that's how it has to be tomorrow. Okay, a little bit more diversity in the you know the the top standings for the women. Well, let me get your thoughts. You know, I'm I'm in the midst of kind of writing up the women's race right now, and you know the assumption in years past was you know yo hog. Maybe not in a 10K, but certainly in longer distances, uh, you know, might be a minute ahead, a minute and a half ahead on, these, on those longer, in those longer races. Um, today, it's a little more tactical, but she still proves that, like, she's, she's pretty dominant, although she only wins by 6.5 seconds over Anderson. Mm, yeah, no, for sure. And you know what's amazing with that is it came down to the sprint course and Eb Anderson was right on Therese's ski tails with about a kilometer to go and just stiffened up on that first steep climb of the sprint course. 
Uh, and that's where Teresa got her little gap and she won. And I don't know if you caught her celebration, but she celebrated like she won a world championship. She was so happy today because she had to work. She had to go deep for that one. And it really came down to that last kilometer. That's the only chance she had to get that small gap. Eva Anderson had a phenomenal race today. She skied so wonderfully. She just got stiff right at the end. She almost made it. Heidi Wang, usually not very offensive. Yeah. This today, offensive right. out of the start, offensive for a lot of the race. I thought it was, I've never seen, Heidi usually just sits and just waits for a sprint with whoever she's around and she knows she can out sprint them. And she's satisfied with like a second or third most of the time. But today she was so offensive and I thought that was really cool to see. Astrid had another solid race. And uh, yeah, I was curious. Let me just jump in to piggyback on the, the Heidi Vang pacing strategy, a function of like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good and I want to break the people behind us and get into a small select group and make it work out from there, which is kind of how it played out. Uh, you know, people started to gap up from behind, but never caught Heidi. Or do you think she was actually going for the win? No, I think it was a bit more like you said. I think she was feeling good. She was obviously feeling really good and she wanted to have an elite selection and, and she had it she had it served up on a silver platter. I mean, for a lot of that race, it was just three people away. Eb Anderson, Terezio Hug, and Heidi Wang. And who are you going to put money on with a 150-meter sprint to the finish? I mean, Heidi wins 10 times out of 10 in that scenario. So she did play perfectly. But in the end, she just didn't have quite what it took to go four laps of that course and ended up popping a little bit at the end, but she secured third. And I just thought it was an amazing way to race today for, for Heidi. And I also was really impressed. She's had two really, really difficult seasons. Her confidence had been rocked badly and take the third place away. A third place in the world cup is a great result, but the way she raced today shows that Heidi's confidence is back. And that that's great to see. That's really great to see. And it should be an inspiration for others that, are going through a tough season or two tough seasons to realize that, no, you know what, if I just be patient and have good people around me and keep believing that you can turn it around and come back to the highest level. So Heidi had a great day today. I'm curious, what's the word on the street in Norway or Scandinavia, since you're much closer to that region of the world about Kala at this point? I mean, still a champion, still great. I mean, like we've all just to qualify like a wonderful person, but uh, you know, a minute back in 15th and just counting through here, one, two, three, fourth Swede, I think. Yeah. No, it's, it's been, and Sundling, you know, Sundling's 11th, who is predominantly a sprinter. I mean, Cal is having a really tough season and she's, she's spoken about that honestly to the media and she just can't seem to find solutions. And, you know, like Heidi's had a few seasons ago, like we just talked about, I mean, Kala's having a really hard season and she can't seem to figure out what went wrong. Her training season was good. She opened the she opened her account early in Galavari and Bruxellarna with what she felt as though were good races and feeling good in her body. And since then on the World Cup, it has not worked. We're into February now, still not working. I feel really bad for her because I know how horrible a feeling that is. I mean, I've been in that feeling before. Uh, I've had that happen to me as well, where you just you think you trained well, your interval workouts were good, your test races were good, strength is good, the testing's fine, like a uh, physiological testing on a treadmill or VO2 max type type stuff. And then in the races, you just you have nothing. You you just empty every single weekend. And Cal is in that situation now, and especially like you said 10k skate easy course i mean this has got kala's name all over it at, le at least to be top right. 10 i mean if you look in the top 10 you have a junior foss's home who is also a junior next year i will remind you she's 18 and she was fifth today 
talk about the race of the day and she had a horrible crash yeah, too in that yeah. but so that was that that was that's worth mentioning you have neprieva yeah she's amazing but lampich in seventh in a in a 10k skate that's not normal you know you, you don't see lampich usually compete at that level in in distance skate race but maybe that helped with the course being what it was but kala is is behind Razmova. she's behind sunling I mean, Frida Carlson hasn't raced for two and a half months and she comes in in ninth. And quite frankly, Frida had a great race too. She just ran out of gas in the last one and a half K of that competition as well. And that's to be expected you and you, when you're 20 years old and you haven't raced, you haven't raced this year. So you're, while physically she's shown that she's back up at the top level, I mean, top 10 in the world cup and, and going, going three and a half laps with, with Astrid for fourth and fifth. She's right there, but she just didn't have quite what it takes to, to close it down for the top five. But like you said, yeah, Cala back in 15th. Diggins had a tough day today. Um, that, that was hard to see. But, you know, I, I just don't worry about Diggins. She's, she's, had, uh, she's had some races like that this year. But, again, a little bit like what we talked about yesterday with Sophie, that, like, we should never get used to the fact that you're week in, week out in the final. Like, that's amazing. It's a little bit the same with, um, with Jesse. Like, how many World Cup podiums does Jesse have this year already? Yeah, exactly. It's allowed once in a while to have a tough day and be 14th. If your tough day is 14th, you're doing a lot of things right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And here's the question that I want to talk about, Carlson, just for a little wee bit there. Uh, how much pressure is on, you know, so for example, there'll be a World Cup in Minneapolis the first time there's been a World Cup in the States since uh, 2001 in Salt Lake, like the pre-Olympic World Cup. And so it's been a long time coming. Um, how much pressure do you think is on this U.S. crew to really perform uh, once they get back here in North America? And, I, you know, to re I'll reduce it, to put on a show, to be like, we are these champions, which, you know, you look at the historical results recently, and, and they are, but they're going to want to perform in, in the States. I'm just curious, like, what kind of pressure do you think are on athletes like that? Oh, you know what? Without good leadership, there would be a lot of pressure. But with the coaching staff they have behind them um, doing such a great job, I mean, Wickcomb is, I mean, one of the best coaches on planet Earth for cross-country skiing. Cork as well. I, I, I don't doubt their leadership with that crew coming back to the U.S. And then also, too, these women are very experienced now. And I hope instead of going back to the U.S. with pressure on their shoulders, they can go back like a party, like we're coming home, we finally mm, get to come yeah. home and bring excitement and who cares how we do, let's just have fun and take in the moment that we have the chance to compete at home and how great is this to be able to, Jesse especially, who grew up in that state, like, hey, I'm home, this is the sport I love, Minnesota loves skiing and we brought it finally back to the U.S. U.S. is going in such a great direction from all categories, men and women right now in cross country skiing, it's growing well. And instead of looking at it like a pressure situation, this isn't the Olympics. This isn't the world championships. This is a world cup weekend, like all the others. And they have, they have nothing to prove. The women have absolutely nothing to prove anymore. I mean, they are the second best sprint team on the world cup for women. They're better than Norway. And, um, it's only Sweden that's ahead of them. Uh, team wise and I hope they come back with a smile on their face and low shoulders because they have absolutely nothing to prove and just celebrate the fact that wow what an opportunity 
and go out there and have a good time. And I, I, I think they will because they have a lot of great leaders on the team. Like we've talked about a lot, sure. like Jess, Jesse is like that spunky, like, Woo-hoo! and then you have Sophie that just wonderful person, quiet, understated, and just has a lot of fun and a lot of, a lot of heart. And then Sadie, they just have such a great team. So I hope that they can come back and, and enjoy the moment and don't bring pressure. It's just a world cup. Who cares? Like not who cares because it's fun that the world cups in the U S but I'm just saying like, view it as a celebration instead of putting a whole bunch of undue, put a undue pressure. Yeah. That's a really good point. Okay. Thinking of undue pressure, uh, we can close out here with Frida Carlson, who was a phenom at last year's world championships in Seyfel, where I think she earned three medals as a junior athlete in a senior competition, the premier senior competition of last year's season. She was held out of competition this year by the Swedish national team for not meeting, uh, I'm, you know, body metric parameters. Yeah, health standards. Yeah, and there she was. You know, she started in bib twenty five, and I had to sort of take a double take and look at the start list because she's. I think she started in a non. You know, it wasn't a uh, Swedish national team uniform. I think she was in kind of a no, blue kit. She was in her club suit. Yeah. She was in her club suit because she was in. She was racing. Um, as the national group quota instead of she didn't get put on the world cup quota for not that it really matters but uh but so yeah so she was allowed to race in her club suit and she chose to race in her club suit which i thought was kind of (laughs) neat yeah me too me too and and so but there she was i I don't have like you know maybe it was a few kilometers into the race and you know the cameras are on the front you know Johog, Vang and Anderson up front and then you see I think it was Jakobsen kind of fading back and there was Carlson pulling out of that chase group and trying to gap up and I thought oh okay this is yeah, yeah. and she did and she joined and she joined Astrid so it was it was great racing by Frida and like I said she ran out of gas the last kilometer and a half but other than that I thought she had a phenomenal competition. And like we talked about yesterday, I thought it was so great to hear really change your tone with the media. She's had so much pressure on her. I want to talk about pressure. When you win a gold, silver and bronze at the world championships as a junior, that is immense pressure. And then not able to race and having to deal with all that. And you're a young athlete. You're not used to that sort of those sorts of challenges. And, and she seemed to come into the competition today with really low shoulders and, and for sure, she'll be disappointed because she was going to be fifth. <laughs> and instead, she faded to ninth right at the end there. But top 10 in the World Cup when you haven't raced in a couple months. Amazing performance by Frida. And it's really fun to see her back in the World Cup. And, and good on Sweden for, for putting athletes' health first. Because much like we just talked about the Americans with racing at home, to have fun. Remember, this is fun and a celebration. And it should be something that we celebrate to have races back in the U.S. after so long. Uh, Frida, it's supposed to be fun. And we do this because we want to. And she has a long and successful career ahead of her. She's born in 1999. So there's many, many years ahead of her. And this, if you can get through this at a good, like in a good way and have good people helping you to have lasting change throughout your career, you can have a really successful career for the next, as long as you want, really 10, 15 years. One last thing. And I, I think I qualified that last question as that was our last question, but it, it makes me think, you know, Osberg, who was also held out at the beginning of the season for similar, uh, you know, not meeting standards for body metrics. Um, and what I mean by that is she, you know, whether it was bone density, BMI, um, was 
uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I'll finish that sentence, but like not meeting the body metric standards. Yeah, not, not meeting the minimum requirements to compete on the World Cup. And so, you know, she, she had a great tour to ski when I'm speaking of Osberg here, and she's back in 19th today, uh, 111 back. You know, is there the risk when, you, you know, your body is essentially fight, you know, it's fighting all the time. You're training hard. You've got to meet that like massive caloric input, you know, your daily requirements. You got to recover. Is there a fear of bringing back athletes or should there be a fear of bringing back athletes too soon to a level of competition like the World Cup, especially on a team like Norway, where it's like, you got to make it, you have to perform. Um, and so it might prompt an athlete to push it more than they should uh, for fear that they might lose starts. And I'm not saying that's the case for Osberg, but like... Oh, it's hard to speculate. That, that That's tough to speculate. But what I will say, knowing the Norwegian system pretty well, is they're so professional. And I, I, I do not worry about that at all, especially with Ingveld. I think Ingveld had a day like Jesse did today, to be honest. I just think I just think Ingveld had a tough day. She had a hard day right out of the start. I mean, Jesse had a couple great kilometers today, whereas like Ingveld was just just not looking good right from the start. And and that's allowed. She had some good races at Nationals last weekend, Norwegian Nationals. Um, she's in good shape. She just had a tough day today. And I, I wouldn't read too much into that, to be honest. But Sweden and Norway, like we've talked a lot, you and I, in the past, these um, these standards that they set, uh, it is amazing and it's world leading and a lot of teams should take note of this because this is it's the same for men as it is for women. I mean, they have different metrics because, uh, you know, but there's a minimum standard for men as well. It's not like only women are going to be held out of competition. Um, the men are also tested just as much and just as rigorously. And I think this is something that, that especially Sweden and Norway can really be proud of that um you know they take the athlete's health seriously medals are great and all but uh you know what's better is having a, a, a good healthy life uh throughout your sporting career and afterwards so Ingveld today you know she was obviously disappointed but she just had a tough day and, and that's allowed it, why who's to know because last weekend in Norwegian Nationals she looked great and she was skiing phenomenally well so I wouldn't read too much into it and then Ingveld there's a few people on the Norwegian national team that don't really need to worry about having one or two tough races in the season. They get the benefit of the doubt. One is Ingvald Flukstad Osberg. I mean, if Teresa had a tough distance race, she never would. But if she did, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, she would obviously get the benefit of the doubt as well. So there's a number of athletes uh, in Norway that kind of get free passes. But that said, and now we have the last, last, last little discussion. I'm going to be very curious to see who the men the men's team is for Norway for Ski Tour 2020. Everybody wants to do it well. Valnes yesterday, second place. And today, you see Finn Hagenkrow, seventh from Bib 64. Like, if he doesn't get a spot, I'll be shocked. But Martin Jonsrud Sunby, back in 18th. I don't know. Do you pick him? Do you pick the veteran? He's had a tough season. He's had some injuries. And spots are limited. So, I'll be watching that story really closely when they announce who which Norwegians get the nod to start at home and in Sweden for the ski tour that starts next Friday. I, I think I'm going to, I'm just going to go in with this crude metaphor, like the boxing metaphor, right? It's like Sunby sells tickets, man. Right. It's like, I always want to see, yeah. it's like, Ooh, where, you know, where's Martin? How's he doing this year? Or how's he doing this particular race? Yeah. For so, sure. yeah. 
Yeah, no, he, exactly. But still, you have guys that, like, if Volnes doesn't get the nod for the ski tour, like, I mean, he'll be sure. really disappointed. He's sitting 11th in the overall World Cup, and he was second yesterday, had some good races at Nationals as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see. And one last shout-out before we sign off, David Norris. I just, yeah. There grinding, you go. grinding, baby. Keep grinding. 24th again today, and in a competition that doesn't suit his strengths. Uh, flat course, messy. Uh, that's not that's not David Norris's strengths. And uh, coming in with the points again. And then one other thing, Sandrine Brown. This was oh, this yeah. was the yeah twenty ninth twenty ninth World Cup points, first World Cup points in Europe of her whole career. Uh, and uh, tough season, got left off the national team. So you 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 look at the season today, not the season. You look at the weekend, and you have Maya McIsaac Jones career best race yesterday. Uh, wonderful to see. And then Sandrine today, maybe they got a chip on their shoulder and they wanted to prove something to themselves and to Canada and good for them. They both had wonderful races, Sandrine today and then, um, and then Maya yesterday for Canada. So really, really great to see. And let's celebrate scoring points when you haven't been able to do it in a lot of starts, when you have had many chances and not been able to break through, then you get dropped from the national team. That's a big blow psychologically. And that hurts because you lose your support. What little support you have, you lose it. And then to come back and, and show to yourself, and that's the most important thing, who cares what other people think? If you believe you can do it, keep on fighting, try hard. And they both did. And uh, they should both be really proud of themselves. And I hope it's a good springboard for them to get back onto the national team and then translate those um, those results in the late 20s to start cracking into the top 20 and then marginal gains as they go throughout their career. So great race, Sandrine. Congratulations. Okay. We'll end it right there. Thanks, Devin. And we will... Uh, Thanks, Jason. Yeah. We'll connect probably quite a bit in the next week and a half. Yeah, lots of action soon. Sure. Take All care. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, you can email them to devin at fasterskier.com or info at fasterskier.com. Thanks. Oh.